So, uh, if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of, of Exodus. We're in Exodus chapter 1, and we're going to continue our Getting Out of Egypt sermon series. We are in part 2 of Born in Bondage. And we're talking about uh, Exodus 1, being born in bondage. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat rack in front of you. If you're a guest, we're glad that you're here. Uh, we use the Bible, so grab one from in front of you in the seat rack or one near you, or look around until somebody grabs and hands you one, and turn to page 82. Uh, I was so thankful that Cammie was willing to leave her comfort zone, not just on the trip, but even today to come and give a little report on the Boston trip, and uh, that is so important this morning. So one of the, the rebukes of the Laodicean church is that we're lukewarm. We're not too hot, we're not too cold, we're just right. And uh, God would rather us be hot or cold so he could better mobilize us for the mission. And we often say we can't do this or that just because, well, um, I'm not comfortable with it. How many times have you heard that? Well, I'm not comfortable with that. That's actually said a lot about this or that. Why? Because we're the judge of what needs to be done. And if it fits our, suits our temperament and our temperature, then it's okay. And if not, then uh, we're not going to do it. But when it comes to, to following God, we've really got to match our, align our lives with what his will is, not our will. Right? Uh, that's what Jesus said. Not my will, but thine be done. Even the Messiah had to align his will with the Father's. Because as a human, he would prefer not to go to the cross. Right? So there is some discomfort sometimes in following the Lord. And sometimes the Lord has to make us uncomfortable so that we will get hot or cold. So he'll know where we're at. We can't always straddle the fence. And uh, and so I pray as we go through this sermon series that God will definitely move us to a position of, of hot. Right? We don't want to be Laodicea and we don't want to be lukewarm. Uh, and we don't want to be cold. We want to be hot. We want God to be able to, to mold us and move us and get us where he needs to go. And so this morning, let me ask you, are you willing? Are you willing? Let's not talk about, you know, hypothetical scenarios. Let's just talk about the, the will of, of our hearts. Are we, am I, are you, are we willing to be uncomfortable for the kingdom of God's sake? And I, I will tell you right now, I know many of you are. I, I just witnessed it yesterday. It was not convenient uh, to do what we did yesterday for many. Uh, working this morning, many got up and got here early to uh, open up the church, to start their classes, right? That's not convenient. You're willing. It's fun. It's exciting. But you're it's inconvenient, right? You're willing to at least be inconvenienced uh, to do what God wants you to do because you know it's worth it. And you're doing that not for your own benefit. And you're doing it for the kingdom of God's sake. Ultimately, it's the benefit of, of God Almighty and the benefit of others. And, uh, of course, you put yourself last. And that's where the joy comes. Jesus, others, and yourself. Right? So are you willing to, to get uncomfortable for the kingdom of God's sake? Some some are, and some are not. Right? Especially in America. The church often is geared, and, 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 and we do it too. We kind of serve other people. We're trying to... Carrot and stick them, get them comfortable. We got these soft chairs, right? Uh, remember when we, some of you, I don't know if anybody remembers, we used to have like hard metal chairs, our first few church services. So Ron remembers that. Some of you are shaking your head, right? And we had to get rid of the hard metal chairs. We had to get softer chairs, right? And then when we moved in here, we decided not to put wooden benches out. We thought, Let's get soft chairs. Why? Because in America, that's how we do church. We don't, we don't sit on the ground with our legs crossed like they do in some countries. So we're, we're pretty spoiled. We like our comfort. Uh, and I'm not mad about it. I'm kind of glad this is where God put me because I like my soft chair as well. You know, uh, I'm all about it. Um, but the reality is that some of us uh, are not even in the kingdom of God. I'm talking about what we will do to, you know, inconvenience and even be discomforted for the kingdom of God. But the truth is some are not even in the kingdom. And actually being among the people that are of the kingdom makes you a little uncomfortable. I can remember when I was like that. I can remember my sister before she was saved. She literally would cry when she got around. She was so convicted. Uh, she would cry when she came around people that were Christians. Like when she went to a church, she'd just break down uncontrollably and start crying. I didn't know what that was. She didn't either. It was like, she's crazy. No, she's convicted. Yeah, she was convicted. And uh, then when she heard the gospel a few weeks after I got saved, it wasn't long she was saved. So last week we, we launched into our Getting Out of Egypt sermon series. Our first message, of course, is Born into Bondage. And this morning we're going to cover the, uh, the third of three points from that uh, first chapter. Last week we got together, I talked about how God remembers His promised seed, Genesis 50, verse 26, Exodus 1, 1 through 6. We saw that God remembers His promised seed when they are in the grave, when they're in the womb, when they're in the world. When they sojourn and when they are enter the promised land. So we covered that. And then we saw how God prepares a promised land for them, right? He has a promised covenant people of Israel, that, that promised seed of Jacob. 
And he also has equipped them, not only with a, a promised land, but with a, an adversary. Right? Can you imagine that? Yeah, he, he gives them adversaries because he knows they need that. He need, needs that. They need that as a nation. Uh, and so uh, I want you to stand with me. Hopefully you found your way to Exodus 1. Let's finish off this chapter this morning. Exodus chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, we're going to pick up the, the account here. Exodus chapter 1. In verse uh, 1 through 6, we see the lineage of, of J- Jacob and his seed, the 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes. Joseph is dead. And now in verse 7 it says, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies and fight against us, and, set, and, and so uh, get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens. And they built uh, for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them and the more they multiplied and grew, and, the, and, um, and they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage and mortar and in brick and all manner of service in the fields. And all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor. Verse 15. And the king of Egypt spake unto the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of one was Shepara, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him. But if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did as the king of, uh, and did not, I'm sorry, as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the men children alive. And the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have ye done this thing and have saved the men children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are lively and are delivered ere uh, the midwives come into, uh, or come in unto them. Right, he's saying that they, they have their babies too fast. Verse 20. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all the people, saying, Every son that is born you shall cast into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this passage. It reveals a lot to us about the depravity of man, the, the nature of kings, uh, Lord, and the faithfulness of your people. Heavenly Father, may we be a people that are faithful till you come and deliver us and take us out of here. May we be a people who follow you faithfully. May we be willing to be uncomfortable for the kingdom of God's sake. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word this morning. I thank you for it, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> so, as we look at this third point this morning, we're going to see that God utilizes a problem king. There's no way to spin this thing. Uh, this, uh, this king, this pharaoh, is a, he's a problem. <clears throat> but God utilizes a problem king to magnify God's mission. All right, there is no weapon formed against God that's going to prosper. Uh, there is no wisdom against God. And so this this Pharaoh, this king, decides he's going to persecute God's people. He's going to at least oppress God's people. But the text says in verse 7, And the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. He was afraid of their their fruit-bearing capacity. Uh, The seventh verse is a perfect place to point out uh, God's perfect plan for his promised seed. It is interesting that God uses that seventh verse, and and in that verse, he's talking about how fruitful they are. Why? Well, because God's perfect plan for man has always been, right, Genesis 1.28, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. He didn't say it that way. Um, Well, he did say it that way. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it in Genesis 1.28. God gave Adam a mission, and he said, look, Adam, this is before the fall. I need you to reproduce mightily. In essence, what he needed him to do is exactly what Israel was doing 
as they were abundantly multiplying and exceeding uh, great numbers, and, and, and he wanted them to fill the land, right? God wanted that to happen from the very beginning. Pharaoh, as a type of Satan, is extremely threatened by the seed of Adam because of, of uh, before Adam's fall, God had a plan for the uh, sons of God, as defined in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Uh, he was despised uh, because Adam was and is listed in Luke as the son of God, right? He was created and he was in his perfect form and Lucifer did not like that because he and the third have already made their decision to rebel. And so he had it out for Adam. And of course, we know what happened in Genesis 3. I'm not going to go back and re-preach all that this morning, but he attacks the seed, right? He attacks, he attacks the, uh, the seed of God. He attacks the son, uh, Adam. Of course, Jesus is that last Adam, and he is the son of God. But, but you understand that he is a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. He wanted to kill Adam, and so spiritually he accomplished that. And of course, in 930 years later, Adam physically died. So like Cain, he would rather murder Adam's seed rather than see God's blessing upon the shepherd king. Because Lucifer's not stupid. He knows where God's going with this thing. So interestingly enough, the Egyptians hated shepherds, and they held them in disdain. The vocation of Abraham uh, through Jacob uh, and even Isaac was that of being shepherds. In Genesis 46:33, the Bible says, And it came to pass that... That when Pharaoh shall call you, ye shall, this is Joseph speaking is to his brothers, ye shall say, what is your occupation? And they shall say, thy servant's trade hath been both about cattle from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, <clears throat> that ye may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination on the Egyptians. So what Joseph was doing was letting his brothers know that to be segregated from the Egyptians, just tell them you're a shepherd because they hate shepherds. And so they gave him a southern land of, of Goshen in the south of Egypt, away from the, the Nile Delta and all the, the commerce and activity of the kingdom. And so the Egyptians, they had a predisposition to hate shepherds. It's no you know accident that when you look at Genesis, right, the, uh, <clears throat> Cain slew Abel. Abel was a keeper of the sheep. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. And, of course, he slew the shepherd, a picture of of how our sin is dealt with Christ, but also how Satan would like to destroy Christ, but of course he can't. So, after God judged the sin of the world, it got pretty gnarly in Genesis, right? Up until chapter 6. Then in the days of Noah, God continued his plan, even after he wiped out the planet, which science is now catching up to, and with a great flood, right? In Genesis 9 and verse 1, it says, And God blessed Noah and his sons, and said unto them, Be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth. And the mission continued on. And before Jesus ascended in Acts 1.8, he charged the apostles to reproduce spiritually in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. So to this day, this is the mission we carry through the catching away of the church. Until God calls us out, we are to reproduce spiritually. And you'll often hear us quote the mission when we talk about the mission of God from Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe uh, all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Or unto, I should say, the end of the world. Amen. So the Lord is with us in this mission to reproduce mildly. Therefore, we still have an adversary, and it's Satan, and he wants to stop us from reproducing mightily. Right? Multiplying mildly. When we went through the book of Acts, um, uh, you may have seen all of these things. Um, we talked about that in Discipleship 2, how to disciple classes, um, how there is a difference between adding to the body. How do we add to the body class? Through evangelism, right? Not, nothing wrong with that. We should add to the body through evangelism. We must. Right? If you're, as a matter of fact, how do we multiply the body? Discipleship, right? So we add, and you can just look it up in Acts. As, as they went out and preached the gospel, their numbers were added to the body. But once they started, the word disciple shows up, you start to see multiplication and everything multiplied. Why? They were passing on. They were raising the fruit that they had. It wasn't just about a salvation, which was great, right? But it was taking that salvation and nurturing that and giving them the oracles of God, giving them the words of God so that they can grow thereby, right? They can become stronger. They can become reproductive. And we see that in nature, right? Little children should not be reproductive. But once they reach a certain point of maturation, they become they become of an age where they can reproduce fruit. 
but not just physical maturation. They need to be emotionally mature, right? They need to be physically mature, then they need to be spiritually mature if they're going to raise good fruit. So maturation is really what discipleship is all about. We're not just shooting to get... We want everybody to get saved. God wants everybody to get saved. So evangelism is awesome. We should be doing that. But... We also need to raise the babies that we have. You see, that's the difference. You've got to raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So what the king was most fearful of in Exodus 1, 8 through 9 was that the children of Israel, or the children of Jacob, would be fulfilling God's mission in their lives. The king was just beside himself. It's like, look at the multiplication that's happening. Right? They're not just having babies. They're not assimilating with the Egyptians. They're raising them up to be little Hebrews. More shepherds and more shepherds. We hate shepherds. These people are not like us. I mean, they don't have the same values as us. They don't, they don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't talk like us. They got their own language. Man, we, we gotta do something about this. He was not happy that they were accomplishing the mission that God had for them. So this is the same thing Satan fears in our life today. He fears that about the church. You know, the church is weak and frail. We really are. But what makes us strong is Jesus. Right? It's not us. It's Jesus Christ. It's who I don't think I, Satan and his angels certainly understand the power of Christ. I think it's the church that often doesn't understand the resource that we have in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We don't always avail ourselves, and, and that because of our relationship, if we start getting a little clue that man, God has literally put us here for a reason. He's put us here to make disciples. He's put us here to to go out and preach the gospel and literally take it literally, like like walk by faith, like came. Like I'm going to get out of my comfort zone and I'm just going to go by faith because God told me to go. Well, that that freaks that freaks God out. They're not God out. That freaks Satan out. Right. That is the last thing he wants to see in your life that you're willing to follow him in obedience and go and do things that that only he is calling you to do. In Exodus verse uh, uh, verse nine of chapter one, he says, "And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them. Right? Come with me. Let's deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and it come to pass that when they they fall they fall out a war, they are joined into the, our enemies and fight against us." And so get them up out of the land. So over throughout history, this has been a fear of the kings uh, that that uh, have been associated with the children of Israel. So there's actually a historic precedence to this, um, both before the time of, of this incident in Exodus and then after. And just quickly, I'll reference some of those. Abimelech was the king of the Philistines in Genesis 20 through 21. Abraham dealt with him in Genesis 26, verses 1 through 5. His son Isaac also dealt with the same king, Abimelech, of the Philistines. In both cases, Abimelech was scared uh, for different reasons. Um, I won't get into all the, the backstory there. That's worth another message unto itself. But once they came to the understanding of who he was dealing with, with Abraham or Isaac, uh, they began to multiply. They began to be prosperous. And in both cases, it's like, hey, uh, God bless you. Please leave my property, right? You're going to overtake me. Um, Wicked Haman, if you know the story, much much later uh, in the Persian uh, kingdom, in the Persian empire, Ahasuerus is over this kingdom, and he has a... He has a, 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 a a diplomat, a, a, a man of power in his kingdom who is just has it out for the Jews. He hates the Jews. He's anti-Semitic, right? And so that's the big thing in the culture today. Kanye West, you know, he makes a statement, and Russell Simmons or whatever his name is, he's he's coming out and he's kind of talking back, and they're going back and forth and talking about the role of the Jews in the business, in the entertainment industry, in the banking industry, all that, all that same stuff they were talking about under another guy named Adolf Hitler, right? God has blessed the, the Jews. There's just no doubt about it. And I'll get to that a little bit more in a minute. But the reality is Haman couldn't deal with it. The prosperity of the Jewish people in the Persian realm moved him to commit mass genocide. At least he wanted that. So he was he tried to get the king to make a decree to just basically murder all the Jews. Just like Pharaoh. Let's just get rid of all the threat. Let's just start killing them in mass. Just like Hitler would have done. And of course God intervened and used Queen Esther and wise Mordecai to save the Jewish people. And that wasn't all. Once Israel got a foothold back in the promised land, there was Samballat and Tobiah. Remember those guys? Right? They, they wrote letters and they were trying to do everything they could to stop the influence of the God's people from getting on track in warships so that they could continue on with God's mission to multiply them. And so with it, throughout history that has happened. In Nehemiah 6, in verse 6, it says, wherein uh, was, 
was written, it is reported among the heathen, and uh, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, uh, which caused thou build, which <clears throat> caused thou builders the wall. Because, I'm sorry, which caused thou builders the wall, that thou mayest be their king according to these words. And so there was letters written saying, "Hey, look, these Jews. If you let them go, they're they're going to take over. They're going to rebel against the kingdom." And all of that was just subterfuge. It wasn't really true. Nonetheless, Nehemiah preserved as an envoy of the king uh, and under authority the nation of Israel. And God used Nehemiah and Ezra to reestablish worship and order in Jerusalem, just as Jeremiah had prophesied. <clears throat> prophesied. And so he used fear tactics so people would overreact uh, to what was going on. In Jeremiah 29 and verse 10, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and causing you to return to this place. God had already told many years before uh, Jeremiah the prophet, before they were even taken out into captivity, that Israel, that God's people, would return to their promised land, that he would continue their mission with them. And why am I getting into all of this? Because I just kind of want you to have a historical understanding of what you're what you're seeing in today's news. Because a lot of what you see even today is still the same old same old angst, and it's about a kingdom that's being established, and there will be a kingdom established on this earth. And so, when you look back here at Exodus, it's still being played out today. There was a Greek ruler named Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth. He feared the faith of the Jews so much he desecrated their temple. And and then he he put a he sacrificed um, uh, a pig on their altar, and he squarely placed himself on the wrong side of Genesis twelve three, which says in Genesis twelve three, "I will bless those which bless thee and curse those which curse thee." If Antiochus was looking for a curse from God, well, he found it as he as he oppressed the Jewish people heavily and desecrated their temple with pagan rituals and sacrificed that pig on their own altar, and ultimately he was deposed. And it, w- it would not be long until Rome eclipsed Greece, and Antiochus was just another name, another ruler uh, cast in the prison of hell, pending judgment at the great white throne judgment. Right, he is going to, as far as I know, he's going to die, and, uh, oh, he's already dead, but he's going to bust hell wide open and get cast in a lake of fire. So by 63 B.C., the Roman emperors controlled the land of Israel. Once again, there's this battle going back and forth. In 70 A.D., a, a general named Titus comes in and destroys Jerusalem and the temple according to the prophecies of Daniel and Jesus. <clears throat> and and that was allowed of God because Israel as a nation rejected their Messiah in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, just as it records in Acts. So at that point, God's purposes for Israel were put on hold until they were born again spiritually as a nation, which won't happen until the future in, da- in the coming tribulation, Daniel's 70th week when the Lord Jesus Christ appears at the second coming. So God's still dealing with the nation of Israel. They're still dealing with the sin of crucifying their Messiah. But it's not guns. And it's not swords that puts fear into the heart of principalities, despite a lot of the rhetoric. It's the truth of God's word and being nurtured and, and, and multiplied through the body of Christ in local New Testament churches. That does put principalities on notice. The ministry of multiplication intimidates the powers that be in this world system. It intimidated them in Egypt, in Syria, in Babylon, in Greece, and in the Roman empires. The multiplication of Bible believers throughout the centuries called Paulicians, Waldensians, Hussites, Albigensians, and many more. And eventually what became Anabaptists and Baptists in England and the colonies here in the United States before they were the United States was all about the ministry of multiplication. People who believed this book and, and just held to the reality that, you know what, God has called us to have a personal relationship with him and assemble together on the first day of the week and honor him and worship him and give our lives to him. The ministry of multiplication through discipleship has been spreading throughout the world since the first century till now. And the Bible believers are the ones who's carried it forward. And there have been many, uh, many religious and political tyrants from this first century till now that have tried to strike fear in the hearts of God's people through persecution and oppression, just like you've seen uh, the devil try to do with the nation of Israel. So just as principalities fear the, Jew, the Jews fulfilling their mission of multiplication and blessing through Abraham, Satan cannot stand the thought of us getting the gospel where it needs to go. On time. That is, that, that is not something that can be tolerated among the powers that be. Satan is not a king 
uh, I'm sorry, Satan is the king of all the children of pride, according to Job 41.34. And Paul makes it clear in Ephesians 6 that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So what he is referring to is the type of wrestling we see in Daniel, where fervent and effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And the course of history and the, cho- the course of kingdoms can be changed through, through saints who actually pray and believe what God's Word says, who have some understanding of what time it is, and are wondering, God, when are you coming? What are you doing with your people? What are you doing with the gospel? And what do we have to do with it? You see, beloved, the church is here. This church in particular is here, publishing Bibles, taking trips, going out and, and doing harvest parties, doing all of these things because we're getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. And by God's grace, individually, we're motivated to go out and add to the body daily as we go to work, as we go to school, as we go here, as we go there. What are we doing? We're saying, God, I'm willing to get uncomfortable if need be. I'm willing to go against whatever I got to go against to do what you called me to do, which is multiply mightily. I'm not here to fight anybody. I'm not mad at anybody. I love everybody, but not everybody's going to love me. But that's okay, because you know what? They didn't love Jesus either, and he died for him anyway. He loves his enemies. We should too. So, beloved, we must be busy praying for the will of God in our season of ministry. I'm talking about our season of ministry. I've given you a lot of history, but now I want you to just take yourself and plug yourself into history. Where do you, where are you in history? You're in Laodicea. That's where you are. So we got a decision to make. Are we going to be overcomers? Or are we just going to get comfortable? Are we going to be hot? Are we going to be cold? Or are we going to be lukewarm? By God's grace, we'll be hot. So like Daniel, we know that if what, we know what the future holds, but like Daniel, we still don't know how it's going to occur. We know what will, <clears throat> we know what will happen in Israel, but we don't know what's going to happen in the United States. Why is that? It's because such a time as this. You just don't know because you don't know. God is waiting for you to respond. What are you going to do? How's, how's he going to save? He doesn't need you to save people, but he wants you to. Right? Whose hand is he going to use to get the gospel where it needs to go on time? At a time when we choose, like Abraham, to believe God and fulfill his mission and God's power for his glory. I mean, that's the greatest thing we can do to see multiplication that will occur mightily. And I'm not convinced that we're doing that. I don't, I, I'm, I'm not patting ourselves on the back like we got it together. We, we could certainly stand to win more people to Christ and multiply, multiply more people. Not for nickels and noses, but for the glory of God Almighty because this world is lost and dying and going to hell. And it's obvious. That's obvious on its face. And so, the mission defined for those living in the New Testament is simply to be fruitful, multiply, and replenish the earth as stated to Adam and Eve, Noah, the disciples, as God has charged them to go forth and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Multiplication results when we evangelize, right? When we do evangelism, we plant God's seed liberally, and we sow God's seed liberally. When we disciple, we raise God's fruit faithfully, and we disciple the children of God faithfully. And then missions, right? That's reproducing maturation generationally. Missions is not just about going overseas. It's also about planting churches in Boston and Clinton and in in uh, Butler or or Nevada or uh, Iowa or uh, Nebraska or wherever God calls us to go. Right? That's what the multiple, multiplication is all about: is getting the the mission where it needs to go. All right. So I want to talk to you about persecution because persecution has proven to be one of the most productive ways to multiply God's people. Anybody want to sign up for that? Now, I'm not saying we're persecuted in the United States. We are not. We're, we're far from that right now. Uh, well, I don't know how far we are from it. But anyway, we're not persecuted really. We may have a little oppression. Okay. There's, there's kind of like levels, right? So, um, and so it may not be fair, right? The tables may be tilted. Yeah. That's not a big deal. So, this seems counterintuitive, but it, it, it is a principle throughout the scripture that persecution has proven to be one of the most productive ways to multiply God's people. How is that? Well, I'm glad you're asking. You're asking a really good question. So when we were in our, our study of Acts, I taught this principle that persecution is the miracle grow of the church. You see it in the book of Acts. And that's not only true of the church in formation, but it's also the, true of the nation of Israel in its formation. The same thing that God used in the book of Acts was the same thing he was using in the formation of Israel in the book of Exodus. They were running into some problems. And and why was that? Well, the more oppression Pharaoh oppressed God's people with, the more they multiplied. We see that very clearly in verse 12. It says, but the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were greed because of the children of Israel. 
Verse 20, Therefore God dwelt well, I'm sorry, not dwelt, dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed mighty. You see, God utilizes problem kings to magnify God's mission by multiplying God's people. He used this problem king to bring some pressure. Why? He didn't want him getting too comfortable in Egypt. He needed him to be a little uncomfortable. Why? For the kingdom of heaven's sake. Sometimes God allows circumstances in our lives personally to make us uncomfortable. Why? For the kingdom of God's sake. For a spiritual kingdom's sake. There's a spiritual reason for it. We may not always understand it, but we've got to trust God with it. Point B. God uses a problem kingdom to mature the next generation pioneers. You see, point one says God is producing the next generation of pioneers among the promised seed. The rigors of the problem king, though distasteful, are helpful in preparing the children of Israel to depart. And we see that in verses 11 through 14. Right? They did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasured cities of Python and Ramses. Well, Brian, I thought you said they were shepherds. They were. Now they gotta pick up a trade. They gotta relocate. They gotta get uncomfortable. They gotta do things that they're not comfortable doing. And they gotta build these big buildings for this, this king, this kingdom that they're not really interested in. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were greed because of the children of Israel. You know, they were thinking they were going to hurt God's people, but in trying to afflict them, God just continued to prosper them. In verse 14, it says, They made their lives bitter with hard bondage. It wasn't light bondage. It was hard in mortar and brick. Let's give them the heavy work. Right? We're going to make those guys the millwrights. Right? These guys are going to, they're going to do all the heavy work. Put them over there on the concrete truck, but don't give them a truck, right? They're going to turn the concrete, they're going to move the concrete, and they're all going to do it the most difficult way possible. We are going to make life hard on them. Materials are more important than the men, and we're going to, we're going to really make it tough. All manner of service in the field, all the service wherein they made them was with rigor. First, we see Pharaoh place these taskmasters over them with the express purpose of afflicting them with the burdens. And the more they were afflicted, the more more they multiplied and they grew. And why is that? Well, the burden doesn't make you weaker. It makes you stronger. If done in the right amount. And they could not do it. They couldn't do it enough to stop Israel. As a matter of fact, uh, the more burden was placed on them, the stronger they they became. When we lift weights, right? If we lift weights, that's exactly what happens, right? You, You lift weights, what happens? That burden tears down your muscle fibers. It breaks them down. But what happens? They grow back. And the next time, with proper rest, you go back, lift weights again, you're stronger. And you get stronger and stronger. It's a process of tearing down and rebuilding. Tearing down and rebuilding. Now, I'm sure none of the the, the children of Israel wanted to go through that process any more than your muscles want to go through it. But God was getting a result. And whether Pharaoh knew it or not, he was actually helping the children of Israel become the pioneer people that they need to be. They needed to be a little bit tougher. They needed a little bit more steel in their backbone because they needed to, there, there was a mission ahead of them that God had uh, for them to take in, uh, take on some uh, giants and enter a promised land. And so, that, 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 that burden that was placed on them was used by God to make them stronger because He wanted to grow them. Point two. Another word for growth is maturity. Right? It was part of their maturation process. He needed them to mature. Right? Like all those guys that go into the military saying, Dad, I'm going to show you. <laughs> right? And then they get in the military. What do they do? They put burdens on them. They break them down. And they, and they stack, or they used to anyway, stack responsibility on them. And, and what do they get stronger? And they realize, man, I thought Dad was tough. This DI is not letting up on me. And he does not, he does not care. So the, the children of Israel, <clears throat> the children of Israel were growing not just numerically, but they were growing in mental and emotional and physical strength. They were getting tougher and tougher and tougher as they learned how to manage these difficult situations. Has God ever put you in those situations? You know, the things that maybe you can handle now, you couldn't handle when you were 15 or 20 or 25 or 30. You, I can remember when I was... I was uh, uh, my dad, I can remember as a little kid, I was the youngest. My oldest sister was 10 years old, older than me. And I can remember somewhere in my early 30s thinking back some of the things that we went through in our family. And I thought, I thought about the age of my dad. He's 30-some years old. He's got a 16-year-old car wrecked in Buckner. I remember one night in the middle of the night, my sister got broadsided down on 24 Highway. And I'm thinking about, you know, like my 30th birthday, this is several years ago, I'm thinking about 
Man, my dad was, he was handling some stuff in his early 30s, you know? My sister's T-boned, and he's got a car that's total. He's got this going on. He's got that going on. And I was thinking, I'm thinking, man, um, a lot of responsibility for a young man. And because uh, my kids, uh, it's probably when my kids were young, because <laughs> I was thinking, man, I got all that to look forward to. <laughs> Am I ready for that? But you know what? Life kind of makes you deal with things, doesn't it? It helps you deal with some of the difficulties that might might make you fold up uh, before you're able. You you got to go through some things to be able to strengthen yourself mentally, emotionally, physically. Sometimes it's not just about the transfer of life through discipleship. There are times, even in the church, some of y'all are not like emotionally strong enough. You're emotionally weak. I hate to say that, but it is true. You've got to get emotionally where God needs you to be. Uh, you, you can't always be a victim, right? The Bible actually addresses some of the emotional needs of the body. And so get your head out of the, the psych, psychobabble out here and get into the Word of God and look about look at how tenacious God makes His people. Read some church history books. Go read Fox's Book of Martyrs. I mean, really get your head around what a relationship with Christ can bring you in an emotional way. Because I've seen people that grow in the Word. they got all the right knowledge, but yet they can't apply it because emotionally they've never come to the place where they've reconciled their life with the life that God has for them. Peter was a little bit like that, wasn't he? He was getting all twisted around the axle, and he wasn't liking the way Jesus was doing things. He's all emotionally messed up. Why? Well, he had to reckon with, hey, listen... God's called me to deal with this, and he's given me the grace to do it. Before it's over, he's fine, right? He gets through it. Uh, you see, Paul was very stable through all of the persecutions, through all the things that he went through. He was just steady Eddie. Why? Because he had his sights fixed on things above. He was all bought into God's plan for his life. So he was strengthened. And the experience of growth, was it wasn't always fun. In fact, in this case, it's painful. <clears throat> You've heard of growing pains, haven't you, right? When a kid's coming up, it can get painful. It's like, ah, what's going on? Your bones are stretching out, right? Your muscles are growing. Things are happening. Growth is sometimes painful. And it was painful at this time in the nation of Israel's life. Twice the word rigor is mentioned there in verse 13 and 14. They served with rigor, and then, and then they, they uh, had those hard bond, that hard bondage and the brick and the mortar and all that. And then the end of verse 14, it, once again, it says it was with rigor. It's interesting because that word rigor, when you run it through the Bible, it's only mentioned five times. Those are the first two mentions. And the last three mentions are found in Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus 25 and verse 43 says, Thou shalt, thou shalt not rule over him with rigor, but thou shalt fear thy God. Leviticus 25, 43. What is God saying? Well, when you enter the promised land and when you have a chance to be in charge, you don't grow people the same way the Egyptians grew you. All right? I have a better way. And he takes that word rigor and he, he qualifies it. Right? You let people serve under a contract for seven years and then you let them go free on the seventh year. Right? And you got all, he has all these stipulations in the law. And he, and the word rigor is not in a positive light. In verse 20, uh, 43 of Leviticus 25, it says, Thou shalt not rule over him with rigor. But thou shalt fear thy God. Right? Just like Paul reiterates in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. When you're in charge and someone's under your care, you always keep in mind that you're under the Lord's care. Right? When you're the big boss man, you understand that you've got a boss too. So treat your people fairly. And ye shall, and and shall take them as an inheritance for your children after uh, you to inherit them for possession. They shall be your bondmen, talking about their enemies forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, ye shall not rule over another with rigor. It says, don't treat your brethren with respect. Treat your brethren um, with compassion. Right? Even in the Old Testament, even under the law. God wasn't down with this, this activity that Pharaoh was. It wasn't necessarily what God would choose, but yet he would use it because this problem king was going to make it profitable for his children. Point four, while cruel bondage and rigor is not a virtue supported by the Lord, diligent work is a character quality blessed by the Lord. Paul told uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The last mention of the word workman is found in 2 Timothy 2.15. The only other mention in the New Testament is Matthew 10 and verse 10. So notice that the Lord mentions the workman is worthy of his meat, not milk. In Matthew 10.10, nor script, he's telling the disciples, right, don't take script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his milk. Is it say milk? 
No. Because the workman's worthy of his meat. Right? The, those that work, they become mature. They need, they need substance. They need protein, right? They need, they need what it takes. That workman, God puts them to work so that they can build an appetite for the things of God's word. You know what work does to you? It puts you in a position where you kind of come to this book to find your sustenance. It, it, when you work hard, you want to eat more. You need to get nutrition, and the Bible is the nutrition. When Israel was going through that rigorous activity, you know where they're going to turn? Eventually, we're going to get there in a few chapters, they're finally going to turn to prayer. I was talking to Joan yesterday. Ultimately, they're going to say, finally, we got to pray. And they're going to go to God. They're going to find out that they need something more than what they've already got. God saves us by grace, but he saves us unto good works. Hebrews 5.13 says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. That's not an insult. That's just a reality. Right? When you don't know how to use the word of God, when you're still fumbling around, you're a baby Christian, that's okay. It's just the way it is. But strong meat belong to them that are of full age, even to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I do want to call out men and women today in the church of God Almighty not to be Laodicea. And why? You need to get hot so you can learn how to use the word of God. Not know the word of God. I'm talking how to use the word of God. I got an axe at home. I can look at my axe. But do you know how to use an axe? Right? I know how to use an axe. Why? Because when I was a kid, my dad put an axe in my hand and I split wood all the day long. Right? It becomes second nature after a while. It's not enough just to have an axe. You got to know how to use it. It's not enough to have a Bible, not to know what it looks like, not, not just to know the stories, but how does this book apply to my life tomorrow, today? That's what matters, is how we can apply it in our life. That's what grows us and matures us. God saves us by grace, but he wants us to go to work. When you apply this book in ministry, do you think you know all this Bible? Well, go over here and teach some kids. You'll immediately learn how much you don't know. I mean... This morning, Meredith whips out an answer. I'm still like scratching my head and going, what was that answer? I knew it was about Josiah, but it took me a minute. Man, Meredith pops it right out. He's eight years old. I was thinking he was 16 years old, but no, he was 16 when he began to, when he found the word. So I'm like, I got these little kids, man, out running the pastor over here in the other evening. You think you know your Bible? Good, go exercise it. The kids will put you to work in a good way. But we're saved unto good works. We are his workmanship, it says in Ephesians 2.10. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There's things he needs us to do and takes maturity to get there. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We should be able to maintain those works. Even if God, even if your boss or ministry head is a slave master, right? Luke and Brianna. Yeah, no, you'll be blessed if you serve the Lord. Right? With rigor. No. With, with, with grace. So that God can bless you. Colossians 3.22 says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of your heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. We are so fortunate we live in a free market economy for now where we can always find another job. But we should always be working for the same employer. And that's God. Man, the rigors of Egypt transformed the, into, uh, the despised shepherds of Jacob's seed into mighty builders. That's another thing that happened. Those rigors that he put upon them, it transformed these, these shepherds of Jacob's seed into mighty builders. Exodus 1.11 says that they built these treasured cities of, of Python and Ramses, and archaeologists have found those, they think they have found those in the river delta of, uh, in Egypt. So they had to travel a long way from the south in Goshen land, the fertile land where they were, they had their flocks. They had to be relocated to go build these cities. So it disrupted their life. But you know what? God was using that, and He was getting them out of their comfort, comfort zone, changing their location, by changing their vocation. Why might God do that? Because ultimately, He needed them to be in a different location. Many of us are here today in different ways because somewhere in our history, in our lineage, one of our relatives decided, you know what? I need to change my location. And it may mean I've got to change my vocation. And somehow they landed over here in this nation. Uh, many of us. And, they, and why? Because they, were, they needed a change of location which brought a change of vocation. God wanted to take these people and, and, and move them out of Egypt and get them into the promised land. But when they got there, they had work to do. To accomplish the mission of God, God, God had changed the vocation. Not only the children of Israel, but the disciples, right? Remember the disciples? They were tax collectors, they were zealots, they were fishermen. 
But by the time we find Peter writing in 1 Peter 5, he was identifying as a shepherd with the chief shepherd. You see, God changed his identity. He went from a fisherman to a fisher of men to finally a shepherd. And God will utilize your time in Egypt to prepare you to move forward in ministry. I will tell you the time I spent as a draftsman, a designer, a project manager, all have lended themselves to helping me get out of my comfort zone and get out of Egypt and get into where God wanted me to go, not for my sake, but for the body of Christ's sake, for the kingdom of God's sake. God will use your vocation, but he may change your location so that you can accomplish his mission and his power for his glory. If the rigors of this world are hard on are hard on you, know that God is strengthening you and changing you into the person he needs you to be to accomplish his mission and into being the person that he saved you to be to accomplish his mission in time, right? Now is the time. Don't despise all that. God will use it in your life. There's nothing as transforming as hard work university. The skill of building would also become as very handy as the, as the children of Israel would be charged in building a tabernacle so that they could worship God. They would enter a promised land and have these major cities that were abandoned because they defeated their enemies, and they would have to maintain these cities. God was preparing this people from a bunch of herdsmen into a... a, a he was going to give them a, a, a system of worship. He was going to commit the law to them. He was going to give them the ability to administrate the government. All of that was being was all in the works. And beloved, I hope you're picking up what I'm laying down because right now we're just running around here. People make fun of us and mock us because people Christians are stupid and we're dumb like sheep and all of that. But listen, beloved, there's coming a day when we return with Jesus Christ. And what do we do? We rule and reign with him. Oh, not just over buildings, over complete, I mean, people groups. I mean, it's unbelievable. I, I don't want to go too far because it's, it's it blows your mind what God's going to do through us. So if you don't think the skills you learn in Egypt are profitable... You don't know anything as you ought to know. I needed time in Egypt to prepare for ministry as much as I needed time in shepherd school. And beloved, the time we spend down here in this world learning through hard knocks or things that God's going to use, I believe, even in eternity. And it will be manifest how well we did. That's why we're judged for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad, because God's going to give us more responsibilities later if, if we're faithful. If we're faithful. So God utilizes a problem king to manifest Satan's tactics to hinder God's mission as well. One of the things that we learned from chapter 1 is just some basic things that you can walk out of here and you can know. Because God, just like God doesn't change, well, Satan doesn't either. He keeps using the same things over and over, and we're just too dumb to pick up on it. The first thing he does is he uses segregation instead of reconciliation. Once Moses has given the law on Sinai, he has given a path for unification of the Jews and Gentiles alike into the promises of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A proselyte like Rahab or Ruth or even the Gibeonites are a few examples of God's grace in regard to assimilating Gentiles into the promised people of the nation of Israel to follow Jehovah God. Now, in, the, in, a, in a few chapters, we'll get to the Passover. And we'll see when we get to the Passover in Exodus twelve forty-eight through 49, that when a stranger, stranger shall sojourn with thee, the nation of Israel, and will keep the Passover of the Lord, let all the males be circumcised, and let them come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. God had a, a way to, even in the Old Testament, to graft people into his covenant promises with Abraham. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. Uh, so one law shall be to him that is homeborn, and, so one law shall be to him that is homeborn, and the stranger that sojourneth among you. I want you all under the same covering of the law, he says. So get circumcised, join in, and you're welcome. Didn't matter if you were black, white, didn't matter who you were. If you're willing to submit to what God said, you could come in. And so, uh, that was God's heart. Today, people are being segregated and identified by their group instead of their individual merit. So society can be divided and pitted one against another. This is what was prophesied by Jesus as the Lord draws closer. Matthew 24 and verse 6, it says, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For the nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, I know this is dealing with uh, the 70th week of Daniel, but but it's important to understand that these tactics are still in use right now. 
So Christians are, are charged not to be ignorant of the devil's devices, right? We understand that. The context of that, by the way, is forgiveness when, he, when Paul says that. We're not ignorant of his devices. Why? Because he wants to divide us up with unforgiveness and bitterness and strife. Don't let fear grip your heart. And don't let that happen. Don't let the devil get you there. <clears throat> um, God has a plan for people, and he loves people. This tactic just brings increased instability to, so the Antichrist can bring the final solution, just as Hitler did in the Third Reich. Dividing people up. And that text there that Jesus speaks nation against nation is people group against people group. And today it's, it's, it's getting out of control. Um, it's, it's ridiculous. The Lord Jesus Christ is the final solution, by the way. And it is that message and that reality that will, will bring perfect peace to your heart. Our theme this year is, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Man, God gives us an ability to have perfect peace. Even when there's, uh, if there was persecution, even if there's oppression, even if there's difficulty, all those things just serve to make us even stronger. The Lord Jesus Christ, being that final solution, will give us the grace and allow us to see through the tactics of the adversary to bring us to a place, not of hating people, but loving them and sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a ministry of reconciliation, right? Not a ministry of deconstruction. If you stay on mission, it impedes the, the mission that Satan has. For, for Satan hates us, and he hates those that follow God. The church is not given the ministry of segregation, but the ministry of reconciliation, according to 2 Corinthians five eighteen through 20. Another thing that the devil does is class warfare. It's very similar. In verses 43, uh, or Genesis 43, 32, I've already mentioned how the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. Right, so he, 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 they had different classes. They had them in a lower class, or as you go to India, it's a lower caste. Joseph was second in the kingdom, yet he and his brothers were segregated because they were second class citizens in Egypt. We've already seen from the scriptures that this has never been God's heart. <clears throat> when he does, when he calls for separation, it's not because of class. It's because of holiness. That's where the segregations come. Many of the Jews of Jesus' day missed this and were frustrated by Jesus' willingness to minister equally across all classes and culture. Why? Because what he was looking for was the broken heart, the contrite heart, the people that were willing to receive him because Jesus Christ is our salvation. He is our resurrection. He is our holiness. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we should not be respecters of persons in judgment. James says that. But if you have respect of persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Beloved, the church is the last place where we should be having respecting of persons. As my dad used to say, every man puts his pants on one leg at a time. And that's true. We're all sinners in Adam and we're all saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Point three, another thing the devil uses is persecution. Unfair labor and business practices, forced labor, inequity of treatment. All those things that we've seen in chapter one will continue and we'll see, we'll continue to see that as we progress through Exodus. And the last thing, which is, is I don't want to, I'm just about done, but I want to point this out, is he uses infanticide and abortion. Infanticide and abortion. You know, Satan has attacked the seed of, of the womb since Genesis 3, as I've already pointed out. And it's no surprise that he uses <clears throat> um, this, the same tactic to leverage the healthcare professionals to do his dirty work for him in Exodus 1, 15-16. He goes to these midwives and he says, hey... I want you to do my bidding. I want you to kill people for me. So he goes to the healthcare system and he says, Hey, could you do this for me? And of course, fortunately, that backfired on Pharaoh's. The midwives feared God rather than men, and they wouldn't obey the king. This is a case of civil disobedience that God endorsed. He blessed them for it. They're like, No, we're not doing that. And they even lied to him. Said, No, nope, those Hebrew women, man, they're lively. When they when they have babies, man, they just they come right out. They're so fast we can't even get there. I think he probably knew a little better. But nonetheless, God blessed them and he built houses for them and God took care of them. It came to pass, it says in verse 21, because the midwives fear God that he made them houses, he gave them a place to stay. When when tyrants... I just lost my place. Hang on. It's not like you're going to do anything else. You could leave. So, when tyrants uh, can, cannot control the, the, the conscience of the medical community, the, you know what they'll do? They'll subvert it with political power. 
And that's what, that's what we read in the text earlier. That's exactly what Pharaoh did. He couldn't get the medical community to, to cooperate. They started pushing back. So he, he said, you know what? This isn't working. The medical people are not working with me anymore. They won't kill the, the males like I've, I've ordered them to. They, they keep letting these boys be born. So I'm going I'm to take another tactic. In, in verse 22 it says, And Pharaoh charged all his people. Notice his people. If you're riding with him, you're going to do what he says. He charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, ye shall, ye shall cast into the river. He deputizes everybody. Hey, if you're riding with me, you'll go ahead and do this. You'll cast every every Hebrew male child into the river. Let those crocodiles eat them. And every daughter you can save alive. This was good for Egyptian business, after all, because Pharaoh could exploit girls like the cartels do on the American border and destroy the male enemies at the same time. And he could and he could reap the benefits of all their women. Today, the collective conscience of the majority of Americans is against abortion. Yet on January 22nd of 2019, the New York legislature broke out in applause when they passed the New York Senate Bill RHA 38-24. I mean, I don't know if you, how many of you have seen that. Man, you, you got to look. You, actually, it's hard to find. I was looking it up on YouTube. I couldn't find a, a clip. I find it, found the clip. I would, wanted to show you on Twitter, but I couldn't download it. So it's kind of being scrubbed. But this happened. It happened in history just a few years ago in New York because they were afraid of the Supreme Court justices someday overturning Roe v. Wade. So they, they passed legislation that you can kill a child up to the last moment of its birth. And that's okay. Now guys, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. And when that was announced and that was passed, everybody's like, yeah! Unbelievable. That's the world we live in. You're going to have a lot of doctors pressing back on that. That's insane. Satan attacked the <clears throat> the incarnate seed, didn't he? That's his M.O. In Matthew 22 and verse 16, Herod issued, Herod issued a decree. He said, kill all the males to and under. Why? Because he wanted to get to the Messiah, the incarnate seed of God. Satan attacks the seed of the written word of God. He's been working hard for the last 120 years or so to corrupt the written word of God. And deal and, and, and corrupt the seed of God's word. And Satan attacks the seed of God's spoken word. And he'll continue to send false teachers and prophets as we get closer to the coming of Christ, who will sp- speak great swelling words of vanity. Clouds without water, spots in the feast of charity. These men are already talked about. They're, they're coming to your church near you. And he'll, they'll corrupt what the word of God says. If Satan can corrupt innocence, he will, just as he always has. So in conclusion, regardless of all the evil that is intended and befalls God's people in any dispensation, God uses it for what? And this is the message. Our benefit. What? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just think about it. You can go through all the headlines right now, and and they're scary. Which, by the way, a lot of that is to scare you. The first thing you got to do is... Jump over here to Isaiah 26.3 and not be scared. God hasn't given you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. You're reasonable. Don't get unreasonable. Don't get rash. Get real. Get reality. Get the word of God. And then, and, and then, and then understand that, you know what? <clears throat> Just like the patriarch Joseph said to his brethren, you know, Joseph said unto them in, in Genesis 50 and verse 19, Fear not. They thought after their daddy died that, you know, all this peace that he had was like foe. And then once Jacob died, man, he was going to come and hatchet their heads off. And he's like, whoa, 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 fear not. Fear not. That's not my spirit that God's put in me. That's not who I am. Am I in the place of God? I'm not going to execute judgment. Let him do that. But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Beloved, do you understand that the most non-threatening people on the planet is us? All we're here to do is bring much people home alive. That's all we're here to do, is get people to put their faith in the living God who loves them, who died on the cross for them. There's a lot of political stuff churning. There's a lot of, of angst going on. There's a lot of things being attributed to this or that. But at the end of the day, who are we? We represent the Jesus Christ, a God who loves his enemies, who died on the cross to save them. 
Are we willing to get uncomfortable for the kingdom of God's sake? God's ways are higher than our ways, and no weapon formed against us will prosper. When we serve the Lord, what is intended by evil works, uh, for what is intended for evil works, out for good, and, and that's why we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Cammy didn't know it, but I was going to conclude on the very verse she quoted earlier. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. You know, in the book of Acts, verse 20, the Bible says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. You see, God uses a problem king to prepare his promised seed to move forward in a pioneer effort to a promised land. Before the rapture of the church, as the Lord tarries, living out our faith could become increasingly difficult because the Spirit of God is in you, and you are a threat to the spirit of this age because you're calling people to have peace with God. We could face real oppression, even persecution at some point, but all of that would would just be an attempt to stop what God has already called us to do, which is equip the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God by the grace of God. So take heart. God is with us, and He is in us, and He promises us that He will be until the end. He's always with us, even till the end of the world. So whatever comes before the rapture of the church, this is what I want to encourage us to do. Maximize the opportunity to multiply. Invest in taking the gospel where it needs to go. Invest in the the word of God and other people. And the more you focus on that, the more God's going to bless you, even in difficult times. And the hardships that you face will simply be used by God to bless you even more. Amen? Amen. Now you've heard that. Do you believe that? And that's something that I'm going to leave with you because that's something we each got to walk out ourselves. Let's stand. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to meditate on getting out of, of Egypt. Lord, these children were born in bondage before they even realized it. And when it came time to get out, it became very difficult. Heavenly Father, thank you for saving us out of the bondage of this world through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for sending your Son to be our deliverer, to call us out, to save us through the blood of the Lamb, to get us to a promised land. And Lord, as we wander through this wilderness journey, Lord, I pray, God, that we would obey your word, that we wouldn't go back on your promises, that we'd be like Joshua and Caleb and go forward in faith with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord is your Savior, we just want to invite you to know him in a personal way. Is there anybody say, Brian, that's me. I need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. We're kind of home folk here, most of us today. Is there anybody say, Brian, I just need to pray today. Maybe God's calling you out of a difficult situation. You just need some encouragement. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Several of us. Yeah, lots of prayers. There's lots of health things going on. Lots of lots of issues. Let's pray for one another. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reality of the Word of God. We're thankful that you remember your promised seed, that you prepare for us a promised land. There'll be a day when we are caught up out of here and go home to heaven. In the meantime, Lord, I pray that you would use the problems that we face, the burdens that we bear, the ones that we create ourselves and the ones that come from without, Lord, that you would use all of that for your honor and glory, that we would decide to love you, that we would honor your word, Lord, that we would put ourselves last, that we would put you first, and that we would serve others as you called us to do. And Lord, whatever that means in the lives of those that raise their hands, Lord, I pray, God, that you would minister to them and help them. Lord, I'm aware of a family in our community that's suffering right now with a a tragic situation with a young child. Lord, those are burdens that are just so hard to bear. Lord, I I pray, God, that you just minister grace. Lord, that use us as agents of love and grace. Thank you for the harvest party we had. Thank you for the great time we've had in your word uh, today. Thank you for just loving us and giving us one another. We pray a blessing to your church today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to invite Dave Pierce to come up. We're going to pray over the offering. And uh, as Dave is coming, uh, Dave, you could grab that mic right there on the way up. Dave, uh, Dave and Joan are are just faithful folks. They've been uh, they've been planning to church. Now they're relocated out east, doing a good work for the Lord. Remember though, as Dave's coming, huh? 
Okay. Uh, the, the men's conference, make sure you sign up for the men's conference. The walking tacos uh, are commencing right after church, so if you smell something good going on out in the foyer, that's the walking tacos. Uh, make sure to stop by and get a walking taco. And then next week is the Lord's Supper, so you want to make sure that we're prepared in heart for that. So uh, Dave will lead us to the throne as we prepare to uh, give back to the Lord. That was an awesome message, brother. Thank you so much. I know God uses you in a mighty way to speak to all of us, so praise the Lord for that. I just want to share a real quick verse with you, because as we, we've we left and been into an area now where we're having opportunities to reach a multicultural group of people that are coming from around the world to the University of South Carolina, and God has opened the door for us to be able to be there and to be able to share the verse that God has given me that I feel is so important to many of us here today. And it says, Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. You see, no matter where you're at in your life, young or old, God still wants to use you and a way to bring glory to his name. Amen? Let's pray for today's offering. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the way you provide for us. We thank you that you've taken us out of that bondage of Egypt and liberated us and given us an opportunity to go out and testify of you. And, Lord, we pray for this offering today that it will just continue to minister your word around the world as it's continued to be... um, copied and taken here and sent around. And also, Lord, we just pray that as a result of that, many souls will come to your kingdom out of that bondage. And, Lord, we also just pray that you'll use this church to continue to disciple people, to raise them up and use them for your glory. So we thank you for the work that you've given us, the strength to be able to do it, the incomes to be able to give back to you a portion of it, Lord. And we pray that all this brings glory and honor to you in Jesus' name. Thanks, Dave. A couple quick announcements and we'll be out of here, guys. Um, Don't forget, they are doing a fundraiser on the way out, walking tacos for the team going to Monmouth here in a few weeks. So uh, grab some of them on your way out. Lunch is taken care of. Uh, be a part of that. It's supporting a good cause. Uh, a lot of the youth are going this year, so get behind that. It's good to see the, the youth really wanting to be involved in, in ministering the word. Uh, men's conferences in two weeks, less than two weeks, two weeks from yesterday. So, uh, guys, we need to sign up, um, myself included. I'm going to be there. I just haven't. So uh, go ahead and sign up. I plan on being there. It's going to be a really good time. There's several guys who uh, God has uh, got lined up to, to, to speak to us. So, uh, guys, set aside uh, Friday evening and and Saturday, uh, it'll be a really good time this year. So jump online. You can sign up for that November 4th and 5th. The rest of the details are online. Uh, one other thing I want to uh, bring up before they're finishing up the offering is don't forget next week is a fifth Sunday. So if you show up at 9 o'clock, uh, you can hang out and talk to the other person who shows up at 9 o'clock and forgot that you weren't supposed to be here yet. So uh, church is uh, no 9 o'clock hour next week on the fifth Sunday. So uh, just uh, be here for main service. Uh, 10.30 like normal, and uh, we will uh, have uh, normal normal service, and then we will have the Lord's Supper uh, right after that. So um, with that, I'm trying to stall a little bit. Uh, one more thing while they're finishing up here. Uh, the, the Redefining Expectations marriage class has been going really well. We're halfway done, so we're four weeks in, but there's still four weeks to go. So if that's something that you thought I really wanted to be a part of, but I just didn't get involved in it. And you, the recordings are online, but feel free to come to the last four weeks. It's been really good. I think everybody who's been there has thought that it's uh, it's been beneficial. And so uh, I, I, you're still more than welcome to to be a part of that. So with that, uh, we'll pray be to be dismissed. And uh, I, I just pray you guys have a great week in the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We pray that you would just send us out uh, this week as lights in a dark world. Uh, use us to uh, just speak the words that you give us and that you would get all the honor and all the glory from our lives. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.